Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season two of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. We're having a lot of fun. Got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're talking about guitars. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just having a good old time. We're chewing the gristle for pity's sake. You know, and gristle is where fat meets flavor. This week on Chewing the Gristle, we have Grammy Award-winning certified guitar player, as bestowed by Chet Atkins himself, Steve Warner. Not only a very, very nice fella, but just a majestically talented soul. So stay tuned, Steve Warner. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to yet another <laughs> installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. I'm very thrilled today to have Steve Warner on the show, multi-Grammy Award winner. He's had, what, 14 number one songs, but most importantly to me, one of only three certified guitar <laughs> players on the planet Dog on Earth as bestowed by the master himself, Chet Atkins. Steve, how the heck are you? Uh, Greg, I'm great, man. You didn't have to quit so early on all that praise and stuff. You know, keep going. I mean, you... <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, you know, it's it's one thing. It's like you, you have a voice of an angel and you oh. play like a demon. And I need it all to stop immediately. Oh, I like, I'm going to borrow that from you. I love that quote. That's good. And I'll give you a footnote. Excellent. <laughs> hey, great to be with you, man. I've been really looking forward to it. Likewise, you know, we got to thank Doyle Dykes for hooking us up. I'm so glad it Doyle. worked out. Doyle, he is the best. Doyle, I don't know they get any better than that guy. And, I and mean, he's, as a, a, he's a great raconteur as well. The stories kept flowing and they were fantastic. Absolutely. He's a great player, obviously an incredible player, but a great person. Yeah, Even absolutely. Even a better person, I think, you know, so I mean, if that's possible. So he's great. Well, I remember, I think the first time we actually crossed paths was at a, uh, a Fender event at the Wild Horse Saloon. Oh, my gosh. I remember that. I Summer Nam. I think it was uh, like yep. maybe 96, 97, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, that was a little intimidating. I'm going to be honest with you. And <laughs> but it was. Oh, it was... no, no, no. I, I remember that night because I remember thinking Fender asked me to do that. And I remember thinking. Well, gosh, I don't, at that time I was really having a lot of country radio success and I was thinking, well, these people aren't wanting me to come in here and sing lonely women, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, so I'm thinking they're wanting a guitar play. Why could, let me see, let me pull. I was not really, I was more, way heavier on the hit country radio hit stuff than I was the guitar stuff, which I've kind of shifted my focus through the years. I've always had that. Uh, both sides of the fence thing, if you will. Right. But but uh, that night, I remember thinking, oh, gosh, I better pull out some, some guitar things here. I'm going to have guitar tonight, guys. Right. <laughs> and well, I, play, just... I remember playing my Glazer B-Bender going like, they're, and they're going to run me out here. This looks like a Fender, but it's not. And it's all ah. like, you know. <laughs> Oh Lord! That was back in the Bruce Bolin days. He was a—he's a Bruce great dude. Bruce Bolin, yeah, I really like Bruce a lot. He was a good dude. Well, you know, you started off. You're from Indiana originally, correct? That's correct. Yeah, a little town called Noblesville. Just it—it's nowadays north side of Indy, basically north side. Back in the old days, it was a when I was there a hundred years ago. It was that was the big trek into Indy. You know, go into Indianapolis. But the, now it's like just the north side. You know, it's right. 
It's grown and, and together. So you went on the road at like 17 playing playing bass for Dottie West. So tell us a little I bit about idea. getting up to that point. So your dad was in a band and so music came from that direction? And Yeah, but it, it really came from my father's side, really. My my dad was one of 12 kids and uh, from rural South Central Kentucky, both of my parents uh, across the holler from each other, you know, they were raised and my dad was one of uh, 12 kids. They all of all my uncles, my aunts, everybody played music. And I thought, I thought until honestly, until about third or fourth grade, uh, when I started going to other people's homes and spending the night, I, I was, I'd look around and go, where's the guitars and Where's all the guitars and amps? There's no tape recorders laying around. This is boring, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that everybody didn't do that like we did, you know. So, but my dad, all my uncles, I remember my uncles, I had a couple of bluegrasser uncles and I had a fiddlers and I had a, a one uncle that was a, he was in the World War II, Vietnam and Korea. He was a 30 year naval officer, played the crap out of harmonica could wear it out i mean he was incredible and and just and he could sing and play i mean they're all my relatives were even the aunts my aunts could sing and play guitar it was crazy you know and my dad was probably the most maybe the most talented of all of them my dad my dad could have been I, honestly and i know it's my father but he could have really done something in this town and in this world of country music he was a had a voice kind of a cross between eddie arnold and and uh, kind of Red Foley, a real, that era, kind of a crooner, country wow. guy, beautiful voice and could play guitar, fiddle, play anything. And uh, But I wrote a song about why he didn't make it. It was called, the song is called Caught Between Your Duty and Your Dream. Uh, and he had, he had a house full of kids before he knew what was causing it, I think, you know, so. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> That'll happen. That will happen, that's for sure. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, so he, my dad lived it uh, through me. I think a lot of a lot of ways. I knew, I knew things were really good the night I was inducted into the Grand Ole Opry, which would be '96, I think. I'd done the Opry since the '70s, you know, that the Ryman and all that was a player. But my, I looked over and my dad was hanging out with Grandpa Jones and Chet Atkins. They were uh. like just talking their butts off, and I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. My dad. His right. idol, my dad met his idol, Chet Atkins. Awesome. <laughs> you know, one of the things I was joking with Doyle about is I said, you know, I don't know what it is, but it seems like everybody who uh, is got to be very proficient in the Chet Atkins school or the Merle Travis or whatever you want, the thumb picker. Yes, Hall that, that world, yeah. They've all they all had like an uncle Billy Bob or something. They always had a family <laughs> member that knew how to play. And I always joked. I had one uncle. His name was John. He was a banker, and he didn't show me a damn. He thing. didn't. He didn't play anything. I got you. <laughs> now, I think that rural thing, that country thing, and I think that's all people did because what else was there to do? You know, either you're out in the field farming or you're somewhere playing music or whatever. So, I really do mean that. I think a lot of ways there wasn't much to do in this little town of Jamestown, Kentucky, with. My dad left to go in the Navy, joined the Navy when he was 17, and, you know, to get away from 11 siblings, I guess, too. But not much to do around there. But they, I think I'll learn guitar. You know? Right. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about, you know, the, the Chet thing in general, well, just, you know, kind of um, the track of what could be all describes the elements that go into country 
music and country guitar, it's really, it's got everything in it. I mean, you know, especially, you know, the, the Chet recipe where, of course, you've got, you know, you got the, the pop songs of the day. You've yeah. got this kind of stride piano-esque <laughs> way of accompanying with the, the melody on top. And then you got this Django Reinhardt thing going on. And yeah. then you got that, you know, bluesy thing from the Jerry Reed thing thrown into the whole mix. So it really opens Absolutely. up your ear in a way that makes you able. And then, of course, he added the classical of the flamenco things in there and so on. It really yeah. opens your ear up in a way that really no other contemporary guitar style does. Wouldn't you say that was accurate? I, man, you really, you hit it right on the head. You described that. And I look at the, I look at Chet's life and I knew him very, very well. And, and I look at his life and I saw a book after Chet passed away. I saw a little book that he kept as a young man, a real young, it was an old, old book. And he had a, it was his repertoire when he was a young guy and he, all the songs that he worked when, I guess when he was playing radio and stuff, his little reference book that he would, it's in his handwriting. It's fantastic. And but my point is, he it had a list of all his songs, and they were Greg. They were songs from, you know, they were the songs from as far back as you can even remember. Chet. My point is, he knew every song known to man. Oh, <laughs> back to back to the days of the you know the like Boardwalk Empire, that big band, that you know all that stuff, and that stuff lays great for playing thumb style playing and that's where chet was playing all that old stuff you know that with you know the the uh if you watch boardwalk empire all that stuff from the 20s right the teens you know the roaring 20s and it all kind of comes out of that playing the blues you know to to kind of like merle travis was doing you know kind of playing the a lot of those guys they didn't have a bass player so they they were doing the, the they were doing their own bass and right but chet you're right it evolves down to I know Chet was an incredible Django Reinhardt. That was his man, you know. Right. And he he told me the story once of when he was he was in his I think Chet was 20, 20 years old, I believe, and he caught a bus and went to Chicago and saw Django play. And he met him. He got to shake his hand and met Django. That was an incredible hearing Chet tell that story was right. He said, Chet said, I just kept looking at his hand, you know, and his, you know, where his hand was burned right. and you know, and all that. And Chet said, Chet would just revered him. But, you know, I would, I would be, I'd be in Chet's. What I loved about Chet, a couple of things uh, mainly is that he, I'd be in his office sitting at his desk and he would play me. He would say, Hey, check this out. And he'd play like a Robert Johnson thing, which, you know, real funky blues uh, crossroads stuff, you know, that, that Chet was into that stuff. People don't know, but he loved that. He, he, right. he said, man, listen to this, you know, there he would play uh, some obscure thing that you'd go, I can't believe he's into that. You know, he knows it and loves it. And uh, and then you might come in a week later and he might have his fiddle going like, hey, check out this thing I learned. And he's like, it is, at that time, he, I was real young, so it felt like to me he was real old. He's probably like my age now. But right. but he was playing fiddle and going like, check out this this." uh you know, big tag thing I learned the other day. And he was so on, on fire still. Or right. once I walked in and he was playing this little lick and he goes, he, I, he didn't even see me walk in. I just walk in the back door and come up the steps. And he, and I, he, he goes, he was doing this really cool little role. It was very, it, I would call it a real Norwegian kind of a droning thing. And he goes, oh, he looked up and saw me and he goes, man, check this out. And he was doing this 
weird role that nobody on the planet could even pull off but him <laughs> probably and and he goes is that not cool and i go oh yeah that's real cool and but he was so there he was 60 probably something years old and still sitting around playing guitar still on fire for it you know and i always loved that passion and that never left i mean never you know he that's what i loved about that and knew every song and he would get mad at you if he I said in once where he was making a little tape recording. Uh, of, he had a boom box, which I have in my studio. Now I, I got it. His daughter gave it to me. But he had this big boom box that you would carry on your shoulder you right. know, from the 70s. And he would record on it, little cassettes. He'd just, he'd just pop one in and, and say, hey, Garrison Keeler, here's, I'm, here's a song I wanted to send you. And he'd talk and kind of be the DJ. And then he would send these cassettes to people in the mail. And it was really cool. And I'd walk in many times and he'd say, hey, hang on a minute, uh, Billy Ed. I'm, I'm uh, Steve Warner walking. Grab that bass, Steve. You know, and I'd grab it. I'd go, okay, you know. And he'd start. <laughs> and one time I remember he was doing some old song and he and I didn't know the song. Just had walked in. I didn't even, still have my coat on probably. And he would go, he would stop on tape. You could hear it on tape. And he'd say, damn, Warner, you don't even know this song. And I'd go, Chad, I'm sorry. I don't know songs from 1918 i apologize right. you know, he, he would be mad at you if you didn't know every song he was right. you know it was hilarious well i remember at the at the first um james burton guitar festival uh oh yes and you did a solo i remember that and, that. It, and it just it was mind-blowing and you did oh, oh, a man. bunch of your own arrangements and you did some chet stuff and i remember just going holy cats i was just to oh, totally blown well, away thank you thanks man and, and thank you somewhere after that i i started i started working i told doyle this as well you know i saw him doing something at some point it's like you know if these guys can go in all by themselves and entertain some by with that much power. I got I got to at least try to venture into that realm. Yeah, man, and, you do. Yeah, yeah. But the thing I was going to ask you is that you know, Chet. I, I remember here. I'm paraphrasing the the quote, but it was something like, "If if I don't practice every day, or if I miss a day of practicing, I notice it. If I miss two days of practicing, my friends notice. And if I miss three days of practicing," Everybody knows that that stuff is so wow. kind of mu mu muscle memory oriented. A absolutely, and I've never heard that. That's really, really good and very true. I think I kind of in that with quarantine, I've really had to push myself because I can feel it if I go a day or two. I, I can definitely feel. It. I was talking to Tommy Emanuel yesterday. We he stopped by and we played a little bit. We're going to play together Saturday and uh, a little thing. Excellent. And uh, we said that same thing. We talked about that with quarantine. He said that he goes, I, yeah, he goes, I've not played like I normal. he plays. Like, I think he lays in bed playing at night while he's sleeping. I really do. But, <laughs> but I can feel it if I don't play, I can. And with quarantine and all this, I've been having to push myself. My problem is I'm hopping back and forth. I'm a painter too. So I'm my pool house, which is right over my shoulder back there. Uh, it's turned into my art studio. So I'm out there. Uh, part of the time I'm, I'm spending a whole day throwing paint and doing stuff, nice. painting and have done that since I was a kid. But, but then I'll go out to the studio and then I'll play. So, and then some days I'm right. I'm a writer. So I'll just, uh, although when I write, I'll do, and with this, this past year, I'm doing a lot of weird zoom rides, which I've never done that much before. I did about five or six of them, which is, I don't like it. I want, I want to, the experience of it is what I like being together 
sure. you're getting in your car, running over to that little Mexican restaurant, and blah blah blah. But, but uh, so I mean, but it that takes you away. Then you go, oh, I better get back on working up this, you know. And I was just sitting around when you, right before you called, I just came up with a little thing. I'm working on a Christmas album right now, and, and I was just coming up. May I? Sure, absolutely, please. I just came up with a little. It's a little jazzy thing. It's it's not even. It's more of a. It's more of a. Oops, sorry about that. That's all right. Those those chins again. <laughs> it's a, I don't think you hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little intro to a. That's Beautiful. an intro. Going to be an intro to a Christmas thing. But then I thought that was real. That's that's really out of my thing. Really, I. You know, it's but but I thought it was so lovely. You know, like. Yeah. Or. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's just. Yeah, kind of I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So I sit around a lot. I got this little Martin that I keep in the house. My boys a couple of years ago got got me this guitar because I had a little teeny a, a toy, really Takamini little talk that sat over there, and they both got on me one day. They said, "Dad, you need a get real guitar in the house to pick up," because you you know I just picked up that little. I, I used to write that little teeny little talk. It don't even have the right spacing and stuff. And so they got on me and they go, "We're getting you this, you know you." So and they're right about it. They said, "If it's sitting there, you'll pick it up and." And I just play it all the time. It's just sitting here all the time, you know. So except when my wife's in there watching a movie or something, right. it stays out of this room, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, since since quarantine has begun, my wife has been beseeching me to build a room over the garage. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Mandatory to have a man cave somewhere or a woman cave. My wife's got a woman cave. You know, yes. Yeah. So, she, she's a quilter, so she goes off to her world, and I go out to my world. So it works out great, you know. Excellent. Sorry. I was going to ask you, when you mentioned the guitar thing, are, are you much of a, are you as obsessed about the owning of guitars? Are you like buying and trading and, or are you not that kind of guy person? I never was. I never was. Uh, I, and I don't ever compare myself in any way to those greats like Jerry Reed or those guys, but, but I will in this case, because Jerry was that way. <clears throat> Jerry didn't even know it did. And Glenn Campbell, I think from that era, and I kind of consider myself, to be a little bit in that ilk, you know, where sure. Lynn Campbell didn't care what, you know, he could play anything and it would sound incredible. Same with Chad or Jerry Reed, but Jerry didn't even know. They don't know. They, they were tools, you know, they were, they didn't care about that stuff. And I never did until a few years ago. As my son Ryan got older, he was my son, Ryan, who's a, if you don't know Ryan, I'd love you to get to know him. He's an unbelievable player. Excellent. He's one of my favorite guitar players, but he's, awesome. he's a, you know, he's from the, you know, he's the, he's the rock guy. He's total all tone and, you know, the, the powerful amps and all that. He's from that world, you know, and he's incredible. But anyway, having, being a proud pop, I'll shut up. But, but uh, he is a big, he's big into collecting. And I started through the, I guess through the late eighties, I started kind of collecting, you know, and, uh, old strats and tellies and people that have given me some really cool things which I'm so, it blows me away, the stuff that people are so kind about. Like a, a lady came to my show once and she 
her husband had just passed a few years before. She always told me when she gave me this guitar, she said, all I ask is I don't, don't ever use my name. I don't want nobody to know who I am or where I am. <laughs> I go, right. done, you know, so, but she gave me her husband's guitar, which Leo Fender gave him or oh, made for him or whatever. And it's a no caster. Oh, so nice. those kind of things you go, are you serious? And I opened it when she gave it to me, her and she and her daughter. And I was looking at this guitar going like, that's a really old Telecaster. And then I, I got to looking closer and I started, I saw the string tree and the noticed the label. And we, when we got back home off the road, I took it apart. And as I suspected, it was looked at the, the writing on the neck, you know, the TG and the, 323 you know the the pencil right. marks i go this is a daggone no caster you know That's and crazy. Uh, those kind of things you know I, i've collected through the years i got I know, i'm not a vince gill or anything i don't have a bazillion i do probably have i probably own it's embarrassing to even say but probably i used to have a, around 100 or something like that probably guitars i probably have about i've purged a little bit i'm probably down to 75 or something but right. but but the I've got a bank of strats and dope blackguards and stuff. Not, not tons, but I got, I probably got six, probably six or eight, like real old tail, old strats. And then probably that many Esquire. I got a no 50, like a 51 Esquire. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I got some old, some old, a few old things that are my old, my best, the coolest strat I've got is, well, the oldest one is a 56 uh, Strat that is, I bought it a few years ago. It is absolutely, you, if I showed it to you, the the case looks brand new. The latches all work. I mean, it looks, you would think it's a reissue. It's so, that's why I bought it because it's, you can't even believe that this guitar is a, not a reissue, you know, oh. it's a, but it's a 56, <clears throat> but it's not my favorite. I don't like playing it. My favorite Strat, I got a 60 Strat that's beat okay. up and, and it's a bad ass guitar. You so know, you like you like the rosewood alder thing. Yeah, I do. I do. And and uh, and uh, and then Ryan, uh, my son's got a '59 Strat that it's really awesome. That my brother, uh, there's a long story on that guitar, but my brother gave it to. He, he, my brother Terry plays in my band. Has from day one, still does, and he's a big Strat guy. He's always been on the hunt for Strats, and so. But he gave it to Ryan a few couple years ago, and and it's that's a really nice. I've got a I've got a '54 Telly that's my favorite Telly probably that I play a '54. Nice. That's just really really sweet. And then I got a '63 Esquire that's really nice. And uh, something about Esquires, isn't it? That single pickup. I love thing. an Esquire, man. I, I remember my dad. Somebody brought an Esquire in when I was real little. I saw an Esquire come into. No, wait a minute. It was a broadcaster. Oh, okay. My dad, somebody, my dad wound up with a broadcaster when I was real little. And my head was messed up because I'm thinking, wait a minute. This is a, that was just a little guy. Right. That looks like a telecaster, but it says broad. My head was going, oh my God, I'm mixed up. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was thinking, why, later, later down the road, you look back and go, why couldn't have I hung on to that damn thing, you know? But uh, anyway, my dad bought a, in 61, I think it was, my dad bought a jazz master and I still have it. I played it on the Opry not long ago. I did one of my dad's favorite songs, but I remember him buying this jazz master and my uncle Jimmy, uh, who was my dad's youngest brother. He was, he looked like a movie star. He had the Elvis hair and wore when he had a band and would play, he had the cool suits. 
and I, as a kid, I played drum, drums in his band, <clears throat> and he had a he had a Jaguar. And in '62, I think it was, he bought a Jag. Went to Chicago and bought a Jaguar, a Fender Showman, Oxblood uh, amp, and uh, uh, and a and a and a jazz white Olympic jazz uh, bass. And I have the jazz bass. That's the bass I played with Chet and Dottie and oh, okay. Dottie West. And then I wound up not long ago with the Showman. I don't know what ever happened to the Jaguar. It got out of here, but I own the, the Showman is beautiful. I got it all tweaked and fixed up. I remember leaning that sucker back, putting those legs out, leaning yeah. them back. <laughs> like, man, that was so cool. You a know? Showman is a weapon. <laughs> those things. <laughs> it is a weapon, yeah, yeah. Back in those days, though, people would plug in like two people would plug in with you, you know. Right. You know, I, when I was a kid, you'd look over and oh, the bass player's playing with us too in here, you know. So yeah, plenty but, of power uh, though. <laughs> you do absolutely. But my uncle was a great influence. He, I played on a TV show with him one summer or two uh, down in Kentucky, Bowling Green, and uh, he. It was you know I was twelve. I was in the sixth grade, you know playing drums. I had a little cheap Trixon set of drums. I wanted the Rogers, but wound up with the cheapy Trixons, you know? So, and uh, I remember once Greg, my mom watched the show and it was a live, it was terrible. Local little live show. Ricky Skaggs was on that show as a kid around that same period of time. I later learned, but, and Keith Whitley, but I remember my mom, I heard my mom, I was really embarrassed, but my mom was being a mom. She was telling my uncle, she goes, you guys got my, you got Steve all the way in the back. Nobody can see him. And I remember my <laughs> uncle saying, he's the drummer. <laughs> he's supposed to be in the back. <laughs> my mom was giving it to him, you know, Yeet, nobody can see him. You know? <laughs> they had their, they all had, all the whole band had these flashy, cool suits. And I had my white short sleeve going to church shirt on right (laughs) they didn't make that stuff for 12 year olds you know (laughs) one of the things i was thinking about as you were talking so so with having you know your dad and your uncle being players i'm wondering just like from a strat point of view were you were were they hip to the five-way toggle switch thing early on because i know you like that sound and so with your strats do you uh, do you always modify them or do you keep thumb, some with the three or what are your thoughts on that? I keep it original. Like my 60 has still got the three way and I've just find it, you know, yeah, but yeah. actually it's funny you're bringing that up. Cause I was thinking about, I'm do, I've been debating this for years, but Ryan, <clears throat> he just got his 59 refretted and it's, it makes me want to go do I, my 60 needs it really bad. And I'm thinking I'm going to do it and put a five way switch I don't ever like doing that, but man, I played his 59 and my friend, Jeff Sin, who is just a, an incredible guitar guru. Uh, there's only a couple of people I'd let do that. And he's one that I do it. And, but it's, it was beautiful. I want to go do my 60. I think I want to do it, man. And, you know, it's cause I, I look at them as tools, you know, and right. Like I was saying with Jerry Reed, I remember once somebody hounding Jerry Reed, I was with Jerry and somebody was hounding him about, they go, Jerry, what'd you play on Amos Moses? What was that? You know, and he and he goes, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. And they go, what'd you play on? You know, they were hitting him on what kind of guitar, what pickups, what <laughs> Jerry don't he never cared about any of that. He just didn't care. You know? Uh didn't even and I remember Jerry finally got kind of annoyed and he goes, just Man, I don't, I don't know. It's just wooden strings. I don't know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just wooden strings. <clears throat> 
So is it true that a lot of those tunes, like, you know, he would make them up in the studio and then, like, completely forget them and then... No doubt. No doubt. I heard Chet say that once. He said, Jerry, he told somebody, Chet, I heard him say, he goes, they, they asked Chet that. They go, why don't Jerry play any of those things? And Chet goes, he can't. He goes, and here's why. He goes, Jerry is probably the best guitar player on the planet. Chet said that. And he said... Uh, but he said he's really a composer. He said he writes that stuff, makes it up, records it, and then he moves on to the next one. He's already working on it. He's written five more since we've been talking about this. And that's true. Uh, Jerry, would he was really, I never thought of that way, but he, he, did, you know, he never couldn't. Although I was at Chet's house one day, and I was, it, Jerry, Jerry popped in, and the three of us were at Jerry's and, and Chet's, he was studio, he had a basement, studio basement, where he cut, it's kind of like a mini Studio B RCA at his house. And he had that in the 50s. He had to be, him and Les Paul had to be one of the earliest people that had home studios ever had to be. Right. <clears throat> and when I was in his studio, this would have been in the late 80s, early 90s. And I and Chet put me on the spot and he goes, I'd been playing that Reed song called Readology which oh, is yeah. real intense. Yeah. It's real intense and drop D really awesome, you know, and I'd worked it up and could play about half of it. I didn't know all of it, but, and I played a little piece in my show sometimes. And Chet knew that, well, here's Jerry standing there. And I didn't know him. I got to know him way better. We got to be really close friends after Chet died, believe it or not. I didn't know him. I knew him, but not really well. We really got close after Chet died, <clears throat> but but uh, Chet looks at me and says, play Readology for Jerry, Steve. And I go, oh, man, Chet, serious? And he goes, he goes, yeah, play that for him. And so I go, oh, crap, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was like this, going, I, you know. And so I played it for him, and Jerry, Jerry was so kind. He didn't do it in a smart aleck way, but he just kind of laid his hand on the neck of a guitar, and he goes, wait a minute, whoa, whoa. He goes, son, you're working yourself to death. Let me show you that part right there, there's a way easier way to do that. And he goes, you're working yourself to death. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing some kind of weird thing. And he was just, he wasn't, it wasn't smart. Ellie. He was just going, I mean, let's try to be helpful. Out. Yeah. And it was yeah. totally. And, uh, and so he, uh, and then he showed me this and it was so, it was actually this role I was doing was three fingers. And what he was doing on this role was doing four. He, he was inserting that finger into the oh. role. Got and it. he's doing four notes instead of three. And it's like backward, a backward, a backward roll too. And you're like, oh my gosh. You know, he was using four fingers or a thumb and three fingers. I was doing thumb and two fingers. It was, he adds a note actually. He's had like a piano and added an extra note. He was you know, unbelievable. I, I always unbelievable. wanted someone to just compile all the best Jerry Reed <laughs> instrumental tunes into one release. I don't think one exists. Well, I have a, I actually do have that. There's a guy named Mark Thornton that has worked with Jerry and his band, and he actually he made an anthology homemade thing that he gave me. He made it and gave it after Jerry died and gave it to me. He knew Jerry and I were close. It's a kind of a homemade thing, but it's pretty daggone cool. It's all of his everything, his instrumentals. So awesome. you know, Jerry Jerry called me the night the, the day before Jer uh, Chet's funeral when Jerry called me and he. He goes, Warner. He goes. Uh, he says, "You got a minute?" And I go, "Yeah." And he, I, I did. Like I said, I knew him okay, but not great. And he, we, and Jerry just started talking about Chet. I wish I'd taped it. 
but he talked for probably 45 minutes. I never said two words. He just said, Warner, you got a minute? And I go, yeah. And he goes, man, you know what? I tell you. And he just started talking about Tim and Chet. And it was unbelievable. And Crazy. Yeah, it was real good. Their their relationship was was pretty pretty cool. They a lot of mutual respect, of course, you know. And so anyway, I'm rambling on with you here. No, that's all right. I love them. I love all the stories. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Cock Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. I was going to ask you about, um, I revisited something I hadn't listened to for a while, but I forgot just how influential it was to me because I pilfered as many licks as I could, is the... uh, it's your uh, performance uh, on the Mark O'Connor record, the new Nashville Cats, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, you and yeah. Ricky Skaggs and and uh, Vince. Vince. That that is Mark, a diabolical yeah. assemblage. So talk, talk about how is that something that's cut live, or do you guys say, okay, let's do this, or you do your part, you do your part, or do you remember how that all went? I do remember that. Yeah, Jim Ed Norman, who produced that record, called me. I didn't even let him finish his sentence. I go, yep, I'm in. I'll do it. I'd love to. <laughs> and then he told me who all was going to do it and the album concept. And so I remember going in the studio, Warner Brothers and uh, on Music Row, and they had the track cut, but no, obviously none of the guitar parts. And and I remember uh, Ricky was there, but Vince wasn't. It was Ricky and I. And and, uh, and Ricky and I sat. Mark wasn't there. It was just a... Uh, uh, the tracks engineer and Jim Ed Norman and me and Ricky. And we just sat, Ricky and I just sat and kind of, we kind of carved out the parts. Uh, we, you know, I guess, I guess you, uh, I guess you figure if if somebody's not here, we're just going to carve out the parts and they can fill in the blanks later, which that's what Vince did. And, right. Which is, I don't mean that in any kind of bad sure, way. No. I'm just saying say it at all. Cause he's awesome. Uh, but we, Ricky and I carved it out. We said, okay, I'll do this. You do that. Let's twin here. And then we'll, and then Vince can play here. We, we mapped it out. And then we, we worked up those little twin parts together and that was it. So, and I remember I had a twin, I played a twin with a JBL in it. I do remember that. I, I played my, and it's funny you said Strat earlier. Cause I, I was playing my Glazer B-Bender Strat with the, with the Seymour Duncan hot stacks in it, you know, and, okay. and, uh, and on a strat, I always played that. My kind of sound was always the stratty kind of sound on that guitar, you know? Right, right, right. And, uh, my son, Ryan always points it out. He goes, dad, you're really a, honestly, you're a strat guy. You always like a stratty kind of sound more than I go. Yeah, you got me on that. Really. I right. never thought of it that way, but <laughs> it's really true. I always kind of like that strat sound. And, and, uh, so I remember playing through that, uh, I don't know about any pedals or anything, but I remember playing through that my old blackface JBL. I used to p- play on the road. I used to carry that time. I think I was carrying two the two two twins on the road, uh, like a stereo kind of deal on the stage back in those days. So, well, tell me a little bit about. Um... You know, this is kind of a geeky uh, tech question, but no, I love it. 
I mean, what 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 role does a compressor play in in at, at one point that you you use it here and there every now and again? I find myself, you know, some all the kind of chicken picking stuff I've done over years, I've never used a compressor like in front of the chain. You um, know what's funny, Greg? On that, I never have either, and that always amazed me. It's funny you're bringing this up because I, all the chicken picking guys they always do use compressors. Right. They always usually an MXR or that little. Right, Dynacomp or whatever. Dynacomp, Dynacomp. But I've never used compressors. I'm not a, I'm not a, I do in the studio now when I'm mixing or cutting right, sure. in the studio, but I don't live. I don't, I don't, it's, I love hearing that. I, I don't, and no, I mean, to each his own, I, everybody gets their own sound and does their own thing, but I've never been a live compressor guy. It's an interesting thing. I did, um, every now and again, I use it for like for slide, you know, you get a little extra. Right. Little a little bit little of extra length, squish. More length. Yeah, and length, right? You know, a little more. Exactly. Yeah, Although I yeah. find that, you know, acoustic-wise, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm using this uh, this Fishman uh, Spectrum Aura uh, preamp that I use, and it's got a little compressor on it. And I, I don't really little, put yeah. it on all that much. Maybe just, I, I, I like to say little, I use it just enough so, you, so I can feel it, but you don't necessarily hear it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you. Yeah, that's a good way to say that because you you can feel it in your hands really you can feel it but yeah that's perfect it's no it don't really show up you know really but uh just the feel becomes different i, Speaking think of slide, a, I like i like to say it adds a little bit of talent which <laughs> 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 which brings me back to that cartoon that was or not a me i guess it was a meme that was floating around a while back what's that the the uh there was a thing about a pedal the uh, there's a name of a pedal what was it it's a uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but they changed the name of the pedal right. to be something. I can't remember. Yeah, talent well, enhancer or something. Yeah, exactly. One of those. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Speaking of a uh, slide, you have to hear my son Ryan play slide. He's brilliant slide player. Excellent. I, if you get a chance, Ryan Warner. I'll check him out for sure. W a r i n e r, of course. Uh, Ryan Warner, uh, all the usual places, but he posts a lot of stuff. So he's he's always got you know he's deep on the eddie stuff and the he knows all that stuff man all the all that brilliant tone and stuff so anyway yeah that he's a really good slide player well speaking of great slide players you had the mighty jack pearson on oh, your gosh. record a while back not a couple of years back a lot of people don't know about jack but he is they, every and they time ought I go to down nashville i gotta go out and see him because it's always you got just to, people gotta know about that guy i don't yeah he's a uh, and I remember he came in that day. We did that drop top song on my yeah. all over the map. It was so fun that old song. And and uh, Matt Rawlings played a great piano solo. And Jack came in and and I remember he, he plugged in and played. And just immediately the first thing he played was you. I was just like, oh my god, that's so good. Right. And uh, you know, being a producer and wearing the producer hat, I'm thinking, you know, I'm always wanting three or four takes. You know, two or three. Give me two or three, at least a couple. And then I'll have an option if I want to, you know. But Jack played it through once and just killed it. And he goes, is that good enough for you? You know, is that, <laughs> is that going to work for you? I'm thinking, yeah, that's, it's, first of all, it's incredible. And that great Southern drawl of his, he said, he started, he was putting his guitar up. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say, and I think I did hit him up. I said, man, do you mind just playing through it again? I said, I think that's it. I know it's it, but. I just want to hear him play another three or four passes, you know. Right, and right, uh, right. so he did. He goes, oh, okay, you know. He's so humble and nice, you know. 
So he played it through again. And, and uh, I sat in with him a few years ago, two or three years ago. I went down to Station Inn and sat right. in with him and uh, had, had no idea what we were doing, totally 100% off the cuff. And we had a blast, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just said, hey, this is an A, you know, and then I just started playing. And he was like, this, you know, that's that's really fun. That's That's the best way to do it, you know. <laughs> so well, good. I, how did it, I mean, it had to have been like a, uh, like the the ultimate compliment to get the the CGP moniker from from Chet. You, would you mind sharing that story and how oh, that came man. about? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, the thing on that CGP stuff is, yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be in that group. You know, and uh, the whole story on that's kind of funny. There would have been several more. CGPs if Chet had lived, you know, a lot of his buddies, there'd be a bunch more coming. Doyle, Doyle's Doyle is a CGP, you know, as sure. far as in my eyes. He he probably would have been the next one, you know. And uh, but Chet started that off. He and Paul Yandel, uh, Chet had an album called CGP. Uh and I asked him, I said, What what does that mean? Even before the album was out. He goes, Well, I didn't go to Harvard or I didn't go to Vanderbilt or I didn't get a degree, so I just gave myself a degree. He goes, Chet Atkins, CGP. And I go, what's that mean? He goes, certified guitar picker, you know, or player or whatever. <laughs> he goes, I didn't get a degree. So, And then about a year later, and I learned that Paul Yandel, his right-hand guy for 30-something years, he actually hooked me up with Chet. Is how that Paul and I were very close. And and I played in the band. with When I was in Chet's band, he was the guitar player. That's why I was playing bass. The guitar position was well taken. You know? right. <laughs> uh, so so I, about a year later, Paul went to Chet and said, Chet, you should do a thing and give Jerry Reed, make him a CGP as well. And they did that at, at his convention. And, and Chet, I read Jerry's. He had it on his wall at his house. At, and it was very Mark Twain, you know. Herefore, on this day of our Lord, 19, whatever, <laughs> you know, I proclaim that Jerry Reed is, you know, and it was real funny. It was funny how he did it. And then he gave him a proclamation. And and uh, so it really was just a fun, tongue-in-cheek kind of fun thing to do. And Chet started doing that. Then it happened with all of us. And and uh, and as I say, there would have been, they would, if Chet was living, they'd still be, there'd be a hundred of them probably right now. But but I remember when I when he gave me mine. Mine's a little different than Jerry's. I got it hanging in my studio. And when all this is over, I invite you to come out to my studio and my guitar room. I hear we'll drag out old guitars. Oh, that'd Your be awesome. invitations there. So all right, thank you. I digress. But so uh, anyway, uh, I I was the my label Capital called me. I always at that time I was producing all my capital records I produced myself and Hose and Floor of Heaven and all those I was producing. And and so I would always put at the end of those records, I put an instrumental, just all the songs, 10, 11 songs, and then a little instrumental thing just for fun. And uh, they called me, Capital called me one day and they said, man, you're, that guitar piece you did on your album is up for a Grammy. And I go, you're kidding me. And he, they, they, they said, no, you're, 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 the, the Grammys are in New York this year at Madison Square. So, and I just won the, I, a few years ago, I just won that. My first Grammy was the Mark O'Connor Restless. Oh, okay. Yeah. Talked about that was my very first Grammy for that. And so, so anyway, I go, that's awesome. Who am I up against? And they said, Chad Atkins. And I went, oh, man, you know, 
<laughs> so Chet leaves me a message. He calls me and he, Chet calls me and leaves a message. And he goes, and he, he was sincere. I believe it. She goes, the, the Coda phone, you know, remember those? Right. Chet left me a message and he said, Stevie, I'm voting for you in the Grammys. I think you should win it. He goes, I voted for you. And he said, by the way, I've got 16 of them already. Click. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've already got 16 of them. And I voted for you. And he did vote for me. He And then he was playing a gig at Cafe Milano. There's a little place downtown Nashville uh, restaurant that he would play, like kind of like Les Paul did in New York. He played every Monday night. <clears throat> and it was great. I'd go down there a lot. And you might anybody coming through town, they would set in and play with Chet. Players were getting up. It was really special. So I was down there. He called after the Grammys. He won the Grammy. He called Karen and he said, tell Steve to come down Cafe Milano next Monday. And Karen said, well, I'll try, you know. And Chet said, Karen said, Chet said, no, don't try. He's got to be there Monday. And I go, okay. So I went down that following Monday. And I noticed there was a camera, a bunch of camera, a video crew and a lot of cameras. And I'm in the audience and Chet goes, uh, I won a Grammy last week, folks. And everybody started clapping. And he goes, but there's a guy in the audience that should have won that. And I've, I've, I, there's a lot of guitar players in the audience. And I looked around and he goes, Steve Warner should have won that. And I go, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> and he goes, come on up here, Steve. And so I go, oh, my Lord. So I walk up on stage and he said, he goes, Steve, I think you should have won that Grammy. And, and uh, so he said, so I got this for you. And he reaches behind his amp and he pulls out a Grammy. And he goes, you can't give these away, folks. He's talking to the audience. They don't let you give these away. It's against the rules. He said, and that's why I had this plate taken off here and replaced. And he did. And he read it. And he goes, and it says, on loan to Steve Warner from Chet. <laughs> he had the black changed on it. And he goes, here. And he gave me that Grammy. And then I started leaving. He goes, whoa, whoa come back and I walk back over and he goes, and by the way, and he reaches by in his amp again and he goes, herefore on this day, I'll make you a CGP. You're, you're officially, so he made me a CGP and gave me a Grammy that night. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You can't give these away, folks. You can't do it. You know. Oh, so, it's fantastic. Isn't that awesome? What, what year was that, you reckon? Oh, uh, I'm thinking it was probably 98 or something like that, maybe. Okay. Hey. 98 somewhere through there 99 but uh, and there was an article in the there was a local column well i'll tell you when it was it was the year it was the oj simpson year that he was that whole trial would come right. to the head so whatever that year was but anyway i remember in the paper there was a local column about music row and all that and uh they they, they actually told that story about chet giving me the grammy and they interviewed they asked chet and this was in the tennessee and chet said the guy made a comment, said, well, Naris may come and get that Grammy because you're not supposed to give those away, you know, Chet. And Chet's comment in the paper was, well, let him try to come and get it. I'll hire Johnny Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hire Johnny Cochran. Oh, <laughs> uh, something tells me that Chet was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Yeah, he was. And I, I talk about him way probably too much but i really loved him a lot he was like a a dear dear friend and 
from day one, you know, all the way since I met him and to the, the first words, I won't even say the first words I ever said to him. It was, he called me in Kentucky. I was at my parents. Paul Yandel had him call me and I didn't know he was calling. My brother, Kenny, used to always mess with me. He called and say, this is, hey, this is Merle Haggard calling. This Steve there. And I'm like, I don't know Merle Haggard. At that time, I didn't. You know? I'd say, Kenny, get out. So Chet called one day. I was at my parents, and I picked up, and he goes, hey, Steve, this is Chet Atkins. And I go, I go, I won't even say the word. I, I said, Kenny, get the out of here. You know? <laughs> he goes, no, it's Chet Atkins. <laughs> so he always loved that. That's the first words I ever said to him. <laughs> but he was a lot of fun and he was just a real down to earth never did forget where he came from you know right. his story is just fascinating you know he told of the days when he would listen and learn songs when he was a kid get a load of this greg how you'd have to do this i mean young people the us people of the day i should say don't really have a lot of excuses you know Right. Because we got the slow downers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Everything's transcribed. Everything's transcribed. It's told. It's laid in your lap. So if right. you're not a good player, it's your own fault, really. Right. But back, can you imagine, Chet used to say he would listen to the radio and he'd hear a song and he would sit and wait sometimes two days till it played again just to try to steal a lick off of that. <laughs> That's how he learned licks. And he said sometimes you'd have to wait because I couldn't afford to go get a buy it. We didn't have a turntable or whatever. I don't even know. Back in those days, he was a kid, so maybe there. I don't know when turntables were even invented, but right. but he said we had to. He goes, I'd listen to the radio just till that song came back around, and then try to use my ears. That's why he had great ears, because he was trained to catch it on the fly when you can catch it. You know, but amazing, insane. Yeah, that's really insane. So we're. Yeah, we're all spoiled, man, I tell you. Right. As, as I like to say, and, and I've been quoted as saying, there's really no reason to suck at this point in time. You know, you're right. And <laughs> and the and honestly, gear-wise, too, there I know stuff's really expensive and things, but you can buy you can buy really nice, inexpensive stuff nowadays, right. you know. Right. And uh, you're right. There's no reason. Uh, it's whoever puts the time in. And and you gotta be honest, there are some incredible players. Absolutely, A lot of no doubt. Players around. And uh, there's well, a bunch of them. I mean, it makes it fun for, you know, for us that remember back in the day, I always talk about the story about, you know, remember when you'd read about some guy in Guitar Player Magazine, you know, like, oh, Albert Lee, and then he's mentioning, you know, uh, Jimmy Bryant and Hank Garland and, you know, and all these different guys or Cliff Gallup, and you're like, where am I yeah. going to hear these records, you know? Exactly. Or, exactly. And then you, unless you were somebody that, you know, had the hip, record shop or we're savvy to ordering away for this kind of stuff. He was like, you're not yep. going to hear that stuff. And then nope. nowadays it's like, I mean, I remember I was reading this Django book a couple years ago and they were quoting some really obscure things that he was listening to back in the day. I went on YouTube and someone has uploaded the audio to all of that stuff. So you can either get the yeah. audio or yeah. you can have the actual artist playing it or somebody disseminating it for you. It's insane. It's, it's insane. And you know, I don't know how you were as a kid, but I remember, I remember hearing certain records uh, on the radio and I would just, Oh my gosh. And I would go, I, you know, this isn't a, it's just the way it was, you know, we, I didn't, we didn't have much money. And so I remember going, I do remember specifically this 45. I heard, I heard the Rolling Stones, this record starts off going, uh, 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 that, that fuzz tone, man. Right. <clears throat> 
I I went immediately and and I was a country guy because I was listening to James Burton and you right. know I was really my dad you know but I when certain things popped up as I got older I was like oh yeah Creedence Clearwater certain right. things I was like oh yeah 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 and uh, so I remember hearing that Stones record and I I just said man I went and I went and found Coke bottles and bought that 45. I went up to GC Murphy's and bought a 45 of that record. And, right. Uh, I had to have it, you know, so, <laughs> but anyway, that's, yeah, when you don't, and you, you, nowadays, like to say, there's no, you can get anything, anytime right at your fingertips. And, uh, there's something about that, uh, that other world though, that's pretty cool because it made oh. you, pre- made you appreciate it and made you, uh, you really worked for it, you know, you really uh, earned it, you know, so to speak. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm speaking of the internet and, and lurking and learning stuff off the uh, stuff on YouTube, uh, there was a video of you playing uh, Galveston with, with oh, uh, Glenn man. Campbell. And then, man, when he solos <laughs> at the end of that tune, man, he throws in some cool outside stuff. You're like, what? And so Another then I wanted to deep dive, yeah. and so, somebody made like a uh, a cool YouTube video of just cool Glenn Campbell guitar solos, and yeah. they were yeah. all just mind bending. Yeah. I tell you, I'm really lucky that I that I got to be around a lot of those cool guys. And Glenn was a dear friend. We used to hang out with him a lot and and uh, play together. We had a hit record. We had a hit together actually. A song called "The Hand That Rocks the Cradle." Uh, ben Peters wrote this song and. And uh, it was Glenn called me and asked me to be on it. And uh, we, Jimmy Bowen was producing me and Glenn at the time. And, and so it was a, a, I'd met him a couple of times through Carl Jackson, my friend Carl, but it, to get to go in the studio, I thought, well, Glenn will do his part, you know, out in California or Phoenix or wherever. He's living in Phoenix at the time, I think. And I said, he'll have his already recorded. And I walk in the studio and we're doing it face to face. And I mean, face to face almost. We're like, we weren't even, it would definitely right. wouldn't be social distancing right now, you know, right. but, but he, we did it together going down at the same time. And it was so, we were just really good friends and hung out a lot. And, and, uh, whenever he was in town, you know, uh, but I remember I was the music director on that show, the hunt, country's hundred greatest. And then when they told me, uh, they asked me about being the music director and I said, well, I'll do it if I can, I knew they were wanting to bring on all these artists. And I said, well, I want to, if you'll let me, they said, we want you to play too. We want you to music direct and play. <clears throat> and I said, well, let me, if you'll let me. And I, I scored and wrote some of these little blips and things going into commercials. And I did that too. And they said, I said, well, I'll do it. If you'll one condition, if you'll let me play with who I want to play with, let me ah. pick it. And they, go, they go, Oh yeah. So I go, okay. Glenn Campbell, Ray Charles. I went down the list. And I go, here's who, I want to play with, and they go, done. And so, awesome. I, so I called Glenn, and I said, I just had gotten this Vince Canetta Strat, you know, it was, I think it's, I honestly think it's the second one he made, if you know Vince, and the Canetta Strats, you know, the, you're familiar, he did the no, relic, he oh, did okay, the relic okay. Strats for Fender, he did them for Fender. Okay, got it. And they were the Fender, at that time, the relic Strat, they're, they're awesome, they're beautiful, I mean, and he, he, he only did them a short time, but, now they're kind of sought after now, but uh, he made uh, Hootie. Oh, he, Billy Gibbons. He made the first one, and he made me. I think the second one. But if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. But so anyway, uh, I called Glenn and I said, Glenn, Galveston is in the top five of hundred 
CM, the CMT's 100 greatest. I said, would you want to be on our show? And he, he goes, will you play with me? And I go, I, I really want to play with you. I, I'd love to. And uh, he goes, yeah, I'll do it. And he said, I'll fly in. He was living in L.A., I think. And, and he goes, can you have me a guitar? And I, <laughs> and I go, yeah, heck yeah. And I go, what do you want? I said, I got this new Vince Canetta Strat. It looks old, but it's, it looks all beat up, but it's brand new. It's brand new, and, it's, and it was. It is. It's awesome, Strat. Right. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. No problem. I'd love it. Like I say, Glenn, he didn't care. He didn't, he didn't care, care about No, if I'd said a silver tone, he would have went, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then I go, then I go, well, that's great, Glenn. I'd love to do it. I'll play. He goes, you play baritone the part, and then I'll play. I go, yeah, I'd love it. I went and bought a Jerry Jones baritone oh, yeah. for that, just for that at Corner Music. And then Glenn, and then I'm getting rang up, and Glenn goes, "Do you have an amp too I could use?" And I go, "Yeah, yeah, I'll have you an amp, you know." So, but I love it. Glenn, he just brought talent. He didn't. He just all he needed to do was bring the talent, man. You know. So, what a monster guitar player! I mean, absolutely monster guitar player. And well, I'll tell you this: I don't think they would even mind because they talk about it. His family, they talk about it openly, so I don't think they would mind. But I was around Glenn after his uh, Alzheimer's stuff, you know, post, you know, pretty deep into it. And he he struggled in a lot of ways, but he never struggled playing, you know, lyrically, lyrically, yes. But but he could pick up a guitar and play uh, classical gas, you know, and kill it. But, you know, lyric lyrics, he had his own songs even, you know, and I don't it's just it was heartbreaking, but. Just, just incredible what the mind, how the mind right. works. You know? And he was a, I always say this, you know, that I think Glenn, of all the people I've been around, I've been lucky through my years, but I don't think anyone had the raw, God-given raw talent any more than Glenn did. He just, it was just the confidence, the raw talent, just play, sing, you know, just raw, man, just natural stuff. Well, I tell you what, I, I was going to ask you about this because, you know, you play unbelievably well, and then you, like Thanks. Glenn, also sing unbelievably well and write in the whole nine yards. But particularly the vocal thing is something that always fascinated me from the point of at what point were you like this roaring guitar player and you're like, well, I guess I'll do some singing and how or was it always parallel that's or did you always think of think of your voice? Is it something you had to work on in the same way that you worked on licks and stuff on the guitar? Did you have to spend time? Great question, man. Great question. Uh, and it's funny on this. I don't talk about this very much. That that's, The question's never posed. But I tell you, in bands as I was coming up, I played in bands since I was 10 years old, you know. And I played in my dad's bands, and I played as a little kid, 11 years old, 12 years old, I remember 11 years old playing with my dad, American Legions, VFWs. We'd play five sets a night uh, on the weekends, Friday, Saturday. He had a regular job, uh, but he, we'd play five sets. And, uh, and uh, honestly, I never even thought about singing, not even to cross my mind. But at about 11 years old, my dad came to me once and said, would you sing a couple songs? We, with it's a lot of time to fill, you know, sure. the guitar player, the guitar player in the band sang a couple, and 
my dad would have to sing all these songs. And so he'd play a lot of instrumentals. My dad would play beer barrel polka and all these little songs and, and instrumental things. But then he, he said, you know, if you can sing a few songs, that would help out. And I go, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll work up a couple things. I worked up a Glen Campbell song and I worked up a couple things. And as an 11 year old, I, you know, it's, you're limited on your songs, but sure. I, but I would sing a few things and that would help. And I did that all through the next bands. I, as I became a teenager, I remember I started playing with a trio at this a little bar called the Blue Flame in Indianapolis. And we had a guy, Glenn Scott, who was a mentor of mine. He played a, he played a, a, a tally, but it had a, like a, it had like a jazz master neck on a tally. He really a talented older guy, uh, uh, was physically handicapped. You know, he had a, had some men, uh, handicaps and challenges there and just a brilliant player. And I only bring that up to say that he was inspired me because he never let that get in his way. He never even, you wouldn't even know it, you know, and, right. and the uh, only reason I brought that up, but anyway, and a drummer, Larry Ratliff. And then I was one summer, they hired us to play five sets a night, six nights a week. And I was in high school. I was a, I was a, it was the summer before my uh, junior, senior year. And then that next summer I took off, came here. But so I'm playing this nightclub uh, as a 16 year old kid. And I was the, I was, I'd never done this before, but the money to me was so intriguing. I go, well, man, they have, at that time, it was like really for six nights a week. I was like, damn, I never have seen that kind of money. And so I go, yeah, I'll do it. And they asked me to do it, the trio. And so Glenn, the guitar player, was really good, but I played bass and sing, and then he he knew about six or seven songs, and the drummer knew about four or five songs, and the rest was up to me, five sets a night, and I was 16, and I had a notebook. I started out with a notebook and played a few, a few week, couple weeks with a notebook reading lyrics down real low. You know, nobody cared, but I started learning all kinds of songs. I went to school. And I learned the singing stuff and I became the front guy. That's when I learned how to do that and be a front guy. And I was doing, you can't even imagine some of the songs we were doing old country standards, but rock and roll things. And I was, and it was, we had a really, really good following. We started, it was just a trio too. And man, I was playing bass. I was trying to fill in all I could, you know, cause there's only three of us and, you know, and I really learned a lot, man, that, I, at the end of that summer, I can barely talk, you know, but, right. but, but I learned a lot about being a front guy and, and, uh, lear, you know, learning how to be a singer, but I never, honestly, I never, I never once in my life thought, well, I want to be a singer and I want to be a star. I want to be the front guy. Every job I ever took was because well, somebody said, Hey, you, you're probably gonna have to sing some. And I go, oh, okay. You know, I was always taking bass jobs too. You know, I was a guitar player learning every, Every break that we would take during, you know, I'd be somewhere playing guitar, learning a guitar lick, and then back to work, I'd put the guitar down and go back to playing bass, you know. I was studying guitar, but I was, most jobs, even like with Dottie West, she had a real good guitar player when I joined her band, so they needed a bass player, and I go, yep, I'll do it, you know, so get me down here, and, you know, so I was always, the singing part, I never thought much about, I just did it because I could, I guess, you know, so. I always looked at myself as a guitar player, you know, really. Well, it, you know, it's just fascinating to me because 
for me, it's always one of those things where if I'm if I'm playing, and I might think, well, I, I blew that. That sounds kind of lame. And then if I hear it back, I'm, it always sounds better than I thought it did. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, vocal-wise, yeah, that's yeah. never the case. It's always like it sounded good in the moment when I'm hearing back. It just, I mean, it's just the 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 immediacy of just the 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 the, the ten thousand hours, if you will, of of all the different nuanced stuff I, on the instrument is one thing. But the vocal thing, the, what would you say? What what is the aspect of it that's just God given talent? That just you, I think you know, a lot of it is honestly. I do. I really am a, a believer in that respect. I do think a lot of that because I know I never I never worked on singing. I never worked practice. I still don't really. I don't. You know, a lot of people might be listening, going, "Yeah, we can tell, man." <laughs> no, they're not. No, we can that. tell you never worked on that. But I never really, I did. I just didn't. I worked on the guitar all the time. You know, I'd watch James Burton on the as a little kid. I'd watch James Burton on the Ozzy and Harriet, and going, right. I didn't even realize it was it was who those guys were. You know, the you know uh, the band back there. Right. But but I think at some point, it's when you start singing, the girls kind of pay you attention and you go oh maybe i'll work up a couple more songs <laughs> you know maybe i'll work up a you know a few i guess i could sing a few tonight you know but you know it never was something i just wanted to go i think vince and i talk about this vince kill we we just we'd rather be off playing somewhere than singing i know he's that way too you know i i like it i like the singing but i like the playing i think if i had my druthers i'd probably but, you know, it's funny that that goes hand in hand with the scat singing for me. Cause right, I exactly. Could, I was going to ask you about that. I yeah. always scat sing and play. I could play what I can sing, you know, so or vice versa, you know. So and it, Chet would always whenever I play with Chet, if we're doing any jam thing, Chet would always come over and bend in my ear and go do some scat. And he always really liked that. He always hit me up to scat, you know, when we played live. He'd go scat some, do some scat. And I would do it, and then he would always be smiling. He liked that. But for me, that was always just an extension of the guitar. I could play it. I could sing it. I could sing it. I could play it, you know, and, and then do it together. You know, your brain is saying, do these to write at the same time, you know. So so was, was just, George Benson any influence on that, or did you just kind of come out on, on your own? You know, it wasn't. As much as I love, I've been asked that before. As much as I always loved, and I love George Benson. But I really wasn't, I didn't learn his world. You know where I got that scat singing, really? <clears throat> excuse me. Where I really got it was I used to hear Johnny Gimble do it okay. on those swing, oh, yeah, all those yeah, swing yeah. records. He would do it while he was playing fiddle. Right, right. You know, and he would do it on fiddle or whatever. And I was always, I'm good, hey, thanks. She's offered me something to drink. Uh, but I would do it, uh, I would do it, because I kind of heard him doing it. And then as I got older, yeah, when I was around, you know, 1920, uh, 20s, probably early 20s, then George Benson came, you know, he started busting wide open. I went, oh, right. my God, he's that's awesome. He's listened to that, you know. Right, 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 right. I used to also Ella Fitzgerald, those records, I used to, I, I used to hear her. I didn't collect her records or anything, but I always admired her when I saw her on TV or, I'd hear her and she'd go into that free form kind of right. scat singing. And I, I was always, as a young kid, I was always uh, attracted to that for some reason. I always kind of liked that. And then I heard Gimble doing it. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> but George Benson, I mean, I don't, I think he owns that man. I mean, he's so, he's so good. 
uh, you know, and I was kind of influenced a little bit. He, this isn't scat singing, but it was kind of the double. Wes Montgomery would do that kind of stuff. And right. I would always, that, I know it's not really related, but it's sort of, he would double up those notes and do yeah, the, the octaves, unison yeah. octave thing. And yeah. that was, I was, in a sense, I was attempting to be like that too, Scotty, sure. thinking, thinking of it in those terms too. So, but, and then I, as a teenager, I started realizing, well, Wes Montgomery's from Indianapolis. Oh my right, God. That's exactly, exactly right. You know, and yeah. I was like, oh my God, he's from down the road. You know, <laughs> what a player. I always loved his playing, man. Yeah, I heard this thing of speaking of West Montgomery, I heard this not too long ago where there's I think there's a tune that's called After Hours, where it's just he's playing a blues and they're kind of laughing and they're all the guys are kind of <laughs> conversing as they're playing. It's just a straight 12 bar blues, but he's bending strings and doing stuff you wouldn't. And it's, it's awesome. <laughs> I'll have to go speaking of stuff at your fingertips, I'll have to go find that. That's oh yeah, great. it's it's a good one. That sounds great. I well, love listen, I won't take up lives. much more of your time. I just I just had um, a couple yeah. last little inquiries. Uh, sure. One uh, one of which is, what would be a, a, a Steve Warner guilty pleasure that you're music wise that you're into that people wouldn't actually think that you are? And if there's anything that you would like to promote right now that pe you want people to be aware of in the near future, as far as what you're doing? Oh, that's a guilty pleasure. Do you mean that as far as musically speaking? Yes. Or why? Yes. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because I was going to go right to chocolate if it wasn't. Oh, we could. Talk about food too, believe me. That's a that's a yeah, subject like, I'm well acquainted. Oh, oh, I love it. Yeah, me too, as you can tell, you know. But no, I people ask me sometimes what's your uh, ambitions? What would you I'm so lucky to have played with some great people, but you know, if I if I could snap my fingers right now and write a song or play with someone, I would Paul McCartney would probably be at my top of my list to make a connection there. I've been around Chet when he talked to Paul on the phone once in England. He was they were talking on the phone once. I was like, oh my gosh. You know? <laughs> I was sitting right by Chet and they were talking. He was, they were gonna come to our show at Royal Albert Hall, and then it wound up they had to go out of the country and and he wrote Chet a nice little note and Chet gave it to me. And anyway, but that would be one, you know, Paul would be great. And then uh I would Derek Trunks is somebody I'd like to jam with. I really would. I don't know him. Uh He's somebody that I would uh, love to get to come and play on a record with me or play. You yeah, know, yeah, he's great, right? Do something. I don't know him, but I've got a feeling he's a super guy, and I know he's a uh, – I definitely know his playing. In, right. Uh, you know, so he's a – man, what a what a slide player. Absolutely. That's a couple right off the top of my head. I like it. Yes, I sir. Like it. Well, right, man, anything, anything you're trying to promote right now or anything new uh, you want people to know about? I am, uh, I just, I'm going to be on the world famous Grand Ole Opry Saturday night. I'm going to be there. And that's this coming. I'm dating our interview, of course, but that's the 13th. Uh, and then I'm going to, uh, not really. I'm gonna, We're going to try to get back on the road. If the world uh, stars line up and the world opens back up a little bit, we're planning on touring in September okay. and get back on the road. We got some really cool dates coming up, Indiana, Georgia, uh, Texas, of course, and uh, got some nice things. We're, we were going to do this guitar festival up in the Rockies at Copper Mountain up there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A big guitar festival they do up there, and it got moved, and I don't think it's happening this year, but I'm going to redo that at some point and play that all-star guitar festival. I, I technically don't remember the name, but it's really good and uh, up at Copper Mountain. So we got a lot of stuff coming in that regard. I, a little teaser, I'm working on a 
Christmas project that'll be out next this this Christmas, and it's uh, I'm really really stoked about it. I'm I'm in a, I'm in a Christmas mode right now, you know. So, <laughs> so uh, and I've I've been arranging some strings for it and doing, you know, I'm going pretty deep on it. We're making it real traditional and and uh, uh, hey, anyway, it's going to be pretty nice. So awesome. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, this has been well, so much fun. Thanks so much, yeah, so Greg, much for taking the time you. to talk. And I love the stories. Magnificent. Oh, I have a big mouth. I love talking. And as you can tell, but it's been great to be with you. Thank you, Doyle Dykes, for hooking us up. I love, yeah, absolutely. He bragged on you. He loves you to death. And he's a great guy. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Well, listen, I hope to get together with you at some point in person one of these yes, days when the pestilence clears. I look forward to that. Well, that invitation's there, and we'll do that. I'd love to have you out when this all opens up. That's Sounds a, good. I meant that, what I said. So we'll, well do I it. appreciate that. Thanks right, so much. Greg. We'll see you Take soon. Care. Have a good one. Okay, bud. Take Bye-bye. care, Greg. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon. <laughs>